So as you're turning there, I, I want to share that um, I find it fitting that this virtue, uh, godliness, comes last not only here in our series locally at Sovereign Grace Church Dayton, but in the list of seven shared virtues of Sovereign Grace Churches. I find it fitting because this virtue, this attitude of the heart and mind, this grace and sanctification that God bestows on his children is really a summation of the other six virtues. Someone who strives to live a godly life will be humble. They will be joyful. They'll be characterized by gratitude, encouragement, and generosity. And they will be a servant of God and others. So may God grant us tonight knowledge of Christ that we may be transformed into his likeness by the power of the Spirit to live godly lives. So before we begin, uh, let's pray to that end. So Father, thank you for our gathering tonight. Thank you for this church. Thank you that um, you bring the work of salvation and godliness into our lives. And we pray that you, uh, through your word and your spirit tonight, would reveal more of yourself to us um, so that we might be conformed more into your image. In Jesus' name, amen. Second Peter 1, verses 1 through 8. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's holy and inerrant word. In his book, Kept for Jesus, uh, theologian and retired pastor Sam Storms recounts a, a mentor's frequent encouragement of three separate but unified truths. The first is this, those whom God chooses, he changes. Second, whatever God requires, he provides. And third, what God starts, he finishes. We know from a, a systematic study of scripture that these three proverbial statements are true. God indeed chooses a people for himself to be set apart as holy, and in his choosing, he grants to them the gift of the Holy Spirit to renew and empower one for godly living. He calls us to holiness, and he gives us the means to holiness. And unless we think that, that we... Um, that we as, as fickle and fumbling people, that he will give up on us, we are reminded only six verses into Philippians that the Apostle Paul is sure of this truth, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Friends, this is, this is great hope 
for the believer who feels hopeless in their pursuit of holiness. That those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Romans 8, 29. We cannot go any further into tonight's lesson unless we're standing on this firm ground of the gospel. Godliness is not something that we are left to muster up to on our own in order to obtain some standing to keep God's graces. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands, our beloved hymn reminds us. The gospel of the, the person, work, life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ is not only the means by which we are saved, but it is the basis and foundation of our actions of godliness. We don't have godliness without the gospel. Those who are in Christ are made new creations, 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, and it is out of that new nature and that power of the Spirit's work in us, and only out of that that we can walk in godliness. So we see this in our text tonight. Peter writes in verse 1, to those who have obtained a faith by the righteousness of God, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Their, their faith was not earned. It was, it was given to them. The word obtained that we have in the English Standard Version can also be translated as, as received, as it is in both the NASB and the CSB. We received this faith through our Savior, Jesus. It is freely given to us. We, we didn't earn it. Verse 2, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of, our, and of Jesus our Lord. Again, not may grace be multiplied to you by, by achievements or sinlessness or legalism. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus. This knowledge of God and Jesus can be understood to mean an informed relationship with our triune God. So we come to God humbly through grace and he increases grace in our life as we learn and grow in him as we commune with him. Peter continues in verses three and four, and as he begins to, to transition us into more imperative action, he does so by continuing to emphasize the foundation of God's work in our godliness. He writes, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So here, God is, is giving us what we need to live a godly life, namely his word, his power, his spirit. And these precious and very great promises that he has given us includes Philippians 1.6, that he will complete the good work in us that he began. He will not leave his children to fail, for he will hold us fast. It's, it's, it's also important to note that, that these verses are not some promise of, of deity or some, some secret mystical high level of knowledge that, that must be achieved. We are, we are not gods and we never will achieve deity. 
our lives will never be perfect, but they will always be marred by sin. However, these verses serve as promise and encouragement that God is active not just in justification, but in sanctification as well. The next few verses call us to action out of that promise. Beginning in verse 5, Peter exhorts the reader, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In summary, because of Christ's work in saving you in his power to sanctify you, pursue godliness. Make every effort to live a godly life. Now, how, how do we understand our role in sanctification, our efforts to live out a godly life, when God supplies what he requires? In other words, how do we understand the balance of Philippians 2, 12 through 13, where we are told to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure? How, how do we understand that tension? So think, think of a guitar. On the guitar, there are strings held in place with tension pulling at two ends. At, at the bottom of the guitar, strings are, are held down with pins. Now, these, these pins don't move, and they're not adjusted after you string the guitar. At the top of the guitar, on the other hand, you have tuning pegs, which can be turned and adjusted to keep the guitar in tune. Both ends of the string are essential. Without the string being held in place by both places, the string would be nothing more than a metal or nylon rope hanging, unable to make a sound. So imagine the pins at the bottom of the guitar, the ones that are held in place, not adjusted. Imagine them as God's work in sanctification. He is the unchanging, immovable power that supplies and secures our sanctification. Without his hold, we would indeed be nothing. But in his wisdom, he is granted that we participate actively, not passively, in our godly living. We must take action. So think of that action and responsibility as the tuning pegs on the guitar. If the guitar is not tuned properly, the, the sound will not be right. It'll be out of tune. It'll be too sharp. It'll be too flat. It will not be a pure and beautiful sound. In the same way, if our actions are not tuned correctly, our lives will be messy. But if the guitar is tuned properly, if our actions are tuned properly, the outcome is an honorable and melodious song. And that sound, again, is possible if both ends are applied. So how do we keep our lives in tune? What does living a godly life look like? Well, books could be written, and honestly have, on the answer to this question. What are the actions of godliness? How do I play my part? How do I grow in godliness? Tonight, we're just going to quickly consider 10, I know that sounds like a lot, but we're going to quickly consider 10 actions and attitudes of a godly man that help us flesh out this call that we are given in verses 5 through 7. The call to virtue, 
knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. The first action we'll look at is Bible intake. The Bible is God's primary and authoritative revelation for his people. How do we grow in the knowledge of God in Christ and pursue an informed relationship with him? We begin and end with his word. How do we come to understand his commandments and his call on our lives? We begin and we end with his word. How do we understand how to live in this world, to communicate with God, to understand another, any other aspect of godliness? We begin and we end with his word. Psalm 119.105 tells us that his word is a lamp to the feet and a light to the path. But lest we think that his word is just a dry guide and moral compass, a few verses later the psalmist declares in verse 111, Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. And David rejoices in Psalm 19, verses 9 and 10. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More are they to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the drippings of the honeycomb. When was the last time that we desired God's word over our favorite food, our favorite hobby, our favorite person? The book of Psalms shows us that we are to view, that that is how we are to view his word. But sadly, so many of us leave our, our physical Bibles laying aside on the nightstand, and our digital Bibles on our phones or tablets have less screen time than perhaps social media, news, or sports. Not that those things are inherently wrong, but they are not the joy of our heart. They are not more desirable than gold but God's word is, so may we run to it. In his commentary on the text that we're covering tonight, the late R.C. Sproul tells of a, a recent convert who, wanting to impress on himself the gravity of God's word, he had his secretary, now I wouldn't want this, well, I mean, I guess it would be a cool job since you're typing God's word, but sure would be a lot to type. He had his secretary type the New Testament epistles word for word, and mail them to him one by one as if they were addressed to him. Sproul goes on to say, If God sent you a letter in the mail and you went to the mailbox and saw your name on the front of the envelope and the sender being God himself, you would not throw it away or put it on the shelf to collect dust. If you got a letter written to you personally from God, you would read it repeatedly until you knew every word and every subtle nuance in the text because you were being informed by a knowledge that comes from God himself. Sproul continues, he says, I am firmly convinced that we have this very thing in sacred scripture, which is why we never graduate from the school of Christ. We are always to be learning more deeply, more carefully, and hopefully more accurately in the things that are contained in his word. End quote. Second action and closely tied to the first is prayer. Prayer is our communication and our communion with our triune God. We are told in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17, pray without ceasing. In his book, The Godly Man's Picture, Puritan Thomas Watson argues that a godly man 
is a praying man. He states, a godly man cannot live without prayer. A man cannot live unless he takes his breath, nor can the soul unless it breathes forth its desires to God. A godly man is on the mount of prayer every day. He begins the day with prayer. Before he opens his shop, he opens his heart to God. We burn sweet perfumes in our houses. A godly man's house is a, is a house of perfume. He airs it with the incense of prayer. He engages in no business without seeking God. These first two attributes are the, are the basics of, of walking with God, to, to growing in the knowledge of, of God and Christ, as 2 Peter 1 calls us. And our response to God's word and our relationship to him expressed in prayer is one of worship, worship being the third action and attitude that we'll cover tonight. Worship is, is not just the, the, the 25 minutes of songs that we sing on Sunday morning, and it's most certainly not just a, a style of music. Worship is our praise-filled, reverent, humble, serving response to who God is and what he has done for us. A godly person is one whose heart is one of worship, praise, thanksgiving, and whose actions come from a mindset and heart set of worship. As 1 Corinthians 10.31 calls us, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Moving forward, perhaps the most comprehensive list in Scripture of godly traits is found in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Paul begins in verse 16, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So how do we walk by the Spirit? What are the, the fruit of the Spirit? Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those in Christ have been, have been given the Spirit, and we should daily pray for more of him. God, fill me with your Spirit so that I may be characterized by him and by his fruit. That I may be characterized by love and kindness for others. Joy, peace, patience, and sorrow. Goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness in my relationships and in my responsibilities. And self-control in the midst of challenges and temptation. Self-control was important enough for, for Peter to also mention in our text tonight. Make every effort to supplement your faith with self-control. What about humility? Humility is our, our fifth attitude and action of godliness. The Lord says in Isaiah 66, verse 2, But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. John Stott writes, Pride is our greatest enemy and humility is our greatest friend. Arguably the root of the first sin and all sin after, pride, argues that we know better than God. But the humble man bows himself before God, taking the example from Christ, and offers his body as a living sacrifice, pleasing and acceptable to God. It goes without saying that a godly man is a humble man. 
next contentment. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. A Christian pursuing godliness will see Christ first and foremost as treasure and joy. Not status, not success, not perfection, not marriage, family, kids, not possessions. The content Christian understands and is firmly secure and settled, knowing that no matter what, whether in the harvest feast or in the fallow ground, that our certain hope is found in Jesus. I know this is tough. I I often find myself thinking that, well, when this happens, I'll be content. And then that thing comes and it doesn't satisfy. And so then there's, it's the next thing. Well, when that happens, then I'll be content. Friends, if you are in Christ, you are secure in and have a relationship with the creator and king of the universe. You were bought with the precious blood of the Messiah and you have a future that is secure. What could shake that hope and contentment? Yes, we we suffer and it is painful and I know that personally. But the scriptures call us to be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. If, if this is an area that, that you're looking to grow in, I, I would strongly encourage a, a read or a listen to, to two books. The, the first is, is a short, modern book uh, called Chasing Contentment by Eric Raymond, who's a pastor in Massachusetts. The second is a, a longer and more dense, uh, older novel, or older book, actually a collection of, of sermons, uh, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment by Jeremiah Burroughs. Um, I trust that they will both serve you well um, if you're looking to grow in godliness and contentment. The next uh, action and attitude of godliness is service. A godly man is a servant of the Lord and of others. Our call to follow Christ is not passive, but it is active. We serve him by serving others, by serving his church by being hospitable to friends and strangers, by caring for widows and orphans. You don't have to be a a pastor or a missionary to serve the Lord, and, and you certainly don't have to be in the limelight. There are countless ways within this church and in various other contexts that we, again, can offer ourselves as living sacrifices. 1 Peter 4.10 tells us, as each has received a gift, Use it to serve one another. The previous two verses state, uh, again in 1 Peter 4, uh, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And we do all of this in community, which is our eighth point. We are to serve and encourage one another, not just when we feel like it, but often. We were made to live in relationship with one another, and God has made us brothers and sisters in Christ. Those in Christ are all his children, his family. The godly man and the godly woman understands this and lives out of that pursuit of godliness with other believers, striving to help others in their walk 
and being humble enough to accept correction from others. John Piper is known to say that eternal security is a community project. By this, he means that God uses the gift of community with other believers in our life to help keep us. He sends us friends and brothers and sisters along the way to remind us to fight the good fight, to finish the race, to not grow weary in doing good, to continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. He sends us friends to to push us to Christ. And in a mysterious way, he uses those relationships and their encouragement to keep our eyes fixed on him. It's one of the ways that he does not let us go. In this pursuit of godliness together, we should be helping one another flee from sin. Fleeing from sin is the, the ninth action and attitude of godliness. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. We should be fleeing from sin and striving to cut it out of our life. As the famous saying goes, be killing sin or it will be killing you. But when we do sin, and we know we do First John 2 tells us that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Our life as we grow in godliness should be one of continuing to grow and not only fleeing from sin, but also growing in confession and repentance. First John 1, 9 tells us that if we, if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lastly, as we, as we turn from our sin in repentance, we turn to Christ and prizing him. This is the crux that all the other before spoken points hang on. Prizing Christ. How do we fuel our fight against sin? We prize Christ. How do we grow in our Bible intake, in our time in communion with God in prayer? We prize Christ. We treasure Christ more than anything else. How do we have joy in serving him with humility, even in the midst of suffering? We desire Christ and Christ alone before all things. We pray and plead with the Father that we might be able to sing with the psalmist, Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Going back to 2 Peter, starting in verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful 
and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So may we, with the grace given to us in Christ, pursue these qualities. May they increase in us so that we may continue to grow in grace and peace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. May he grant us more of himself, more of his joy, more desire for him, so that we may give ourselves to God and to godliness. And may we remember that this is not first and foremost in our own strength. We have responsibility, yes, but we have empowerment by the Spirit to live well. It's, it's difficult to determine. <laughs> it's difficult to determine who said it first, but some attribute to Martin Luther saying, bad theology is a cruel taskmaster. The enemy wants us to think that it is fully up to us and that godliness is all a moral game of perfectionism. But the gospel tells us that it is not all up to us, but in fact that Christ did the work for us. In all that he asks, he provides. How liberating and freeing that is. So brother or sister, do you still find yourself trying to prove yourself to God, trying to, to keep yourself in his hands? Or do you feel wrecked with, with the wretchedness of besetting sins? Or perhaps you, you feel puffed up with pride because you perceive yourself as perfect and better than others. All approaches are wrong. And I urge you, as Scottish pastor Robert McShane wrote, for every look at yourself, take ten looks to Christ. You will soon see that he will hold you fast, that he is the balm for your wounds, and that he is the remover of our pride. You will see that your feeble attempts and failures are forgiven and that his power is made perfect in your weakness. So will you see the kindness of God this evening? His law of godliness has been fulfilled in Christ and he offers us a pardon that not only saves, but a spirit that helps sanctify. He will not give up on you. He will bring his work to completion. And as he does, we sing, yet not I, but through Christ in him. Because in the end, our godliness is for his glory, not ours. Would you pray with me? So God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you that you are the one who saves. You are the one who sanctifies. God, fill us with more of your spirit so that we may surrender more to you, that we may be filled, and that we may live godly lives. In Jesus' name.